Welcome to HubShots episode 293. In this episode, we talk about notes permission confusion, reducing contact friction, the power of lists, and AI. You're listening to the number one HubSpot focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, marketing, and service results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? So good. And it's so good to be back, Ian. And hasn't time flown by? Do you realize it's more than a month since our last episode? I know. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's the longest break we've had in over seven years. So. That's right. It was a long break. You know, we were busy at the end of the year and then I got sick and before you know it, a whole month's gone by. It's so good to be back. We've got so much to cover. We've almost got two episodes worth, so we're, we've uh, had to really trim it down. But we can't help but note AI. We've got to talk about it, don't we, Ian? We, we can't escape it. Exactly. And funnily enough, Craig, some people have not even heard about it. So I think as much as there is talk in the community about it, let's talk about it in the respect of what's going on and how that applies to HubSpot. Most people will be aware there's been a lot of talk about AI, in particular ChatGPT, which was, I think, launched publicly end of November-ish, along with graphic design tools, MidJourney, there's Stable Diffusion, a whole bunch of others. And it's just the last couple of months, all this AI thing is taking off and now it's becoming, I won't say mainstream because probably still 99% people don't know, but in the tech communities and things like that, it's uh, obviously being talked about a lot. So we're going to talk about it to pass a few comments, not actually about how to use it because we're not experts or I'm not, I'm just starting really on this side. But I thought there was a few important things to at least mention and you could be forgiven I feel, based on all the attention that ChatGPT's got for thinking, oh, wow, AI is this new field and it's suddenly working. And with that in mind, let's chat about HubSpot's use of AI. And in particular, I wanted to refer back to episode 100. This is in 2017. We interviewed Brian Halligan and we asked him his thoughts on AI. And I've got a little bit of an excerpt. You can read the full response from him back in episode 100. It's quite good, quite informed. But I said, oh, you know, are you thinking about AI and ML? You know, this is and machine learning. I said to Brian Halligan and he said, well, yeah, it's actually a strategy now because I naively back then was thinking, oh, is this something new you're looking at? He's like, oh, no, we've been looking at this for years. They've got a big AI team and data team and things like that. And indeed, Damesh was giving talks at conferences about AI and its role in marketing. So this is not new. What's interesting though is when Brian was talking about, he was talking about almost platform foundational pieces. It's the effectiveness of AI. Based on a whole lot of data, it can give insights. And in particular, in that interview, he talked about lead scoring, all these pieces of data that AI can look at and give insights to users. So what's the point in saying this? Well, embracing AI is not new by the platforms or HubSpot or anything like that. But what does seem to be new is the ease of use that consumer-facing tools are getting. And ChatGPT is one of those. If you don't know what it is, I'm not going to explain it. This isn't the place for that. You can go and check it out. We've got links to it. But really, it's just a nice interface for using AI to get answers. We might talk more about that in future episodes. We're using it in our team to help with summarizing and just compressing data. So anyway, that's it. But that's AI. We thought we should acknowledge it and at least mention that this is not new when it comes to HubSpot's plans. That's right. And so if you're thinking about how does this play out in HubSpot, there's kind of like two areas that I can readily think of. And HubSpot started this because they acquired an AI tool, 
I think maybe about six years ago. But in HubSpot, readily apparent was the predictive lead scoring. So that was one of the things that they used AI for. And I remember at the time, I can't remember the Dharmesh O'Brien saying, it required data to make it work. So just the, the ability to have data to make the predictive lead scoring work, that was one thing. The next thing you're probably seeing is the AI feature when you turn on the inbox syncing because it's the AI is actually looking at signatures and filling out information in the CRM. So really useful time-saving, right? And that's the other part where we readily see it being active in HubSpot. So I'm sure there are more things, possibly those trends that get uncovered on, on a reporting widget that would be probably sourced from the AI as well. So there you go. Have a look. If you haven't added that and you've got marketing hub professional enterprise, I definitely encourage you to use that. All right, onto our quick shots of the week. Craig, here are some few items to note. Subtitles are now available in HubSpot videos and you need to upload the VTT file to the content. And this is all around accessibility. So I know even HubSpot looking at their website, they've got some new accessibility options. So I think it's definitely becoming more and more apparent that they're catering for accessibility. And these are those little things that make a big difference. And uh, secondly, the CRM overview. So when we, we started testing it a long time ago, but we love it, encourage people to look at it because you can actually customize it for you and for your particular needs. Don't just look at it and go, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Or why is that there? You can actually change it and make it valuable to you and then and display the information you want on that overview tab. And finally, the left sidebar, if you've got any pro or enterprise portal, can now be customized based on conditions like, for example, they've become a customer. So lifecycle stage has changed a customer. You can now display different fields or different sections in there based on that. So well worth looking at. All right, onto our marketing beach of the week, Craig. And now why did we say we want to reduce contact friction is because often people make it hard for people that they're communicating with by asking information they already have. That's probably the biggest thing because we were in HubSpot. We know who people are, especially if we're doing email marketing to them. So we've got an example here of a customer who used it to get an RSVP. So they were having an event at Christmas time and they were like, yeah, let's send this out and then let's get people to respond and tell us and let's get their details. And they said, I said, I, don't, I think there's a better way to do this because it, it was a limited space. And so we just essentially want to know, are they coming by themselves and they, are they bringing a partner with them? So I said, let's just create two CTAs in the email and just get them to click it because we already have their details, their customers, they've transacted with us. We, we've got all of their details. We've got their numbers, et cetera. So we're, we're not lacking for detail here. We just want to know something. So two buttons, click it, tell us if you're coming. And then we just created lists off that. And then based on that list, we were able to produce the list of people coming that evening. Obviously, we didn't know who the plus one was, but we could cater for the plus one because we knew that they were going to bring their partner or a friend along to this event. But a really good way to save time cut down unnecessary work and make the customer's life easier. Hey, I really like this and I agree. Yeah, before you'd send them to a form, have to fill out a form. It's just busy work for the person. So yeah, one click, it's done. 
I was wondering, did you think, and do you think there's any benefit in maybe having a third button which said, sorry, I can't make it? Absolutely. So previously we have done that, Craig. So people mm-hmm. have said, sorry, I can't attend, mm. but I'll be happy to be included next time. So that is definitely, in this one we didn't do it, but yes, definitely worthwhile having the third button. Now, I did make a note there with creating the list. You might say, oh, I'll create a, an active list. But we actually said to, because it was an event, if you want to make sure that no other people snuck in at the last minute, you might want to create a static list towards the end of that so you know exactly who's coming and that's where the cutoff is. So that might be something worth noting when you're doing this. All right, on to HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig. Building a list based on deal line items. I think listeners and regular viewers of the show know we just love lists. So much so we did an entire episode just on lists, best practices for lists, and we've got a link to it there and you can watch on YouTube as well. And the reason for that is because lists are foundational or as you say in that episode quite accurately, they're the building blocks. Lists are the building blocks for just about everything else you do in HubSpot. You can use them in reports, workflows, emails, all that kind of thing. So we like them a lot. Why is this in a sales feature of the week, not marketing feature of the week? Because most people think, oh, lists, marketing uses that. But sales, no, we use views. I want to just kind of open your mind if you're in the sales team to be thinking about lists as well. Unfortunately, lists are only for contacts of companies. I'd love to be able to create lists of deals and things like that, but we're just, we're just contacts. And now why, what's the value, what's the benefit of a list over, say, a view? It all comes to associations. You can essentially join on other things. So here's a scenario which a particular customer is going through. They've got a number of products and deals and, of course, uh, people have bought products over the time. And they're like, as a sales rep, I want to build a list of contacts that have bought product A because I know I can cross-sell product B or I can upsell them to product C. How do I get that data? How do I get that list of contacts? Well, it's very easy in contact lists. And here it is. It's this associated object information. Here's all the options. You could basically join contacts with companies or deals or feedback or whatever. The two ones I've got highlighted are line items and product properties. So you can say, get me all the contacts that had a deal that had this particular product they purchased or this particular line item, and I can build lists on that. So very powerful. And one of the things this also helps with is that then sales reps or salespeople, if they're empowered like this, they kind of have a better appreciation for how marketing works. They're like, oh, well, here's who I'm going to be reaching out to. Oh, marketing, do you think with this list you could create a campaign, a marketing email or a nurture sequence as well? So sales and marketing can work very closely together. So that's the power of lists or a reminder of the power of lists. There's tons of other criteria, but lists are just so underutilized, I find. When we look in even big enterprise portals, they've got basic contact properties they're doing. Everyone knows how to do that, but these associated objects, and in fact, in your earlier example before, CTAs and emails and things like that, very powerful. In case you're wondering the difference between products or line items, you can have a product library and then a deal might actually have a product that actually ends up in a line item, but sometimes people just create their own line items on the fly as well. So that's the difference and you can join across both, yeah. Now, Craig, quick question. You could essentially use a line item if you wanted to, to figure out if there were things that were not product related, right? Provided what you were searching for was that was case. Yeah, there's some different properties that you can pull. So 
from a product itself, you might have a, a particular price that a product. So you might say, yes. show me all the people that bought, had deals where they had this product that was priced at this much. Whereas yep. if you use line items, you might be, oh, and this was the rate that we actually charged them from the line items. Yep. So, but very similar, yeah. All right. On to our HubSpot service feature of the week. Now, we get asked this often, like, should I connect my email as a into the into the conversation inbox or should it be my personal email? Or, for example, people might have it connected as a conversations inbox email and then decide to connect as a personal and then they go, I can't do that. So we're going to just describe the differences and when you might and might not use the different type of inbox connections. Yeah, that's right. So as you've highlighted, there's two ways you can connect an inbox into HubSpot. And I think a lot of people are aware, oh yeah, I want to connect my inbox to HubSpot. So yep, that's the outcome. But then they get confused, which path should I go down? And as you said, one is your personal inbox being connected. You do that from settings, your preferences, your personal preferences. And then the second is, oh, well, I can connect it with a conversations inbox. What's the difference? Well, the second one, conversations inbox, that's normally a generic email support at your company, for example, because you're going to give multiple people access in fact, could be any of the HubSpot users access to that conversations inbox to view it. So you wouldn't want to be connecting your personal email into a conversations inbox. That's the confusion that sometimes happens. We've had people, we go into their portal and someone has come in, they said, oh, I need to connect my inbox. How do I do that? Oh, they've gone and connected their personal email into a conversations inbox. And then they're shocked when all their personal email is available for rent. So that's the first thing. Don't do both. However, there's actually some cases where you might say the flip side, well, should I connect a generic email as a personal inbox connection? Normally you wouldn't, but I'll give you one example where we have seen it and it kind of works. Reception at yourcompany.com. That's sometimes a case where someone works on reception and rather than them having their personal inbox, they're just working at reception. That goes in actually as a personal connection. So not as a conversations inbox because they don't want everyone watching but that's the case. But then what happens is later they go, well, I've got my reception at mycompany.com connected as a personal inbox. We think it's time to move it to a, a conversations inbox. Oh, we can't. It won't allow us. You can only have one or the other. So then they disconnect it from personal and then they reconnect it as a conversations inbox. But I will go back and say most of the time, if it's a generic email address, it would be going into conversations inbox. It's a bit of a nerdy shot there, but if you've got any questions or particular scenarios, send us a, a, a comment or reply back to the show notes and we can help you out. In some examples that we've done, Craig, is we have a sales at email mm-hmm. and there is one person that triages the sales inbox. And unless the contact is known, then of course they don't. But if it's a contact and it has no owner that's come in, the person triages it and then assigns it to the particular salesperson at that point. Mm. So that's another way people are using it or they use it as a backup to make sure that people can access that inbox globally. So well worth doing, even if you don't necessarily actively manage that and maybe people are sharing it via Outlook. So have a look. On to our admin feature of the week. And here we go, understanding the permissions of viewing, adding, and editing notes. Now, listeners, this has changed and it's come into being not long ago. And I just want to highlight to you, if the user was already in the system when this change happened, they actually have access to everything to do with notes. It is 
only to do when there are new users created and there are certain roles that you might choose as you're creating the user that, that are the default roles, might actually have this setting set to usually owned only, which we'll describe in a second. But just be aware that if you've already had the person in there, nothing will change. But it might be a good opportunity to actually go and review now what permissions people should have to notes. So now Craig's going to explain to us all the intricacies of this because he spent hours going through this and Craig, very much appreciated. So take it away. All right, strap yourself in. And apologies if you're listening to this on the podcast versus watching on YouTube, it's going to be hard to follow because you really do need to see the screenshots. So sign up for the show notes, hubshots.com slash subscribe, and you can get all these screenshots. So Let's talk about what problem this is solving. And well, first of all, what's a note? Well, if you're on a contact, most people know there's that activity timeline. You've got some tabs. You can leave a note on a contact. You can do for a deal ticket as well. Uh, But let's just assume we're talking with contacts. You can leave a note. What's the problem? Well, the problem has been people are starting to save quite sensitive information in these notes against a contact. Uh, depending on the field, there might be financial information or medical health related. Maybe maybe it's just personal details. Uh, you're a salesperson, you're working with this person. Maybe there's something to say. And you don't want everyone else kind of seeing this sensitive stuff. So the problem that you're trying to solve and this new permission helps you solve is I want to protect the notes. Marketing still needs to come in and be able to see a contact or maybe other sales reps see the contact, but I don't want them seeing the notes because uh, that's sensitive. How do I protect that? And you can see there's been community threads about this over the years, and it's quite important. And I'm really glad to see HubSpot addressing this and saying, yep, they have been getting more granular with permissions. They have been locking this kind of stuff down. And I won't go into now, but there's actually other permissions that they're rolling out that actually protect things. So you can have someone view a contact record but not send emails, all this kind of – you're starting to lock it down, and that's a really good thing. So this is – it's a good thing that's on the path. I'll tell you what the problem is. I think the user interface or the UX experience is very confusing. And it starts here. With notes, they have this permission that says owned only. And it's like, what does owned only mean when it comes to a note? Does that mean the note is on, say, a contact where I'm the contact owner? You could be forgiven for thinking that, oh, that's an owner. Because we have this sense, oh, deal owner, ticket owner, contact owner, notes owner. What's a notes owner? A better label would have been creator. So instead of owned only, they should have said created only. Because you could be on a contact, you're not the contact owner, but you can create a note on it. In HubSpot world, that means you're the owner of the note. You're the note owner. So there you can see the confusing. I, I, I think it's just easy to say created. So here, the permissions around notes, what can you view? Which notes can you view? You can say, well, only the notes I've created. So I can't see anyone else's notes. Or the permission might be a team or everything. If it's everything, then I can see any notes, any notes someone else has written. And really, that's how it used to be before this permission came in. Anyone could see anyone else's notes as long as they could view the contact. I mean, if they couldn't even view the contact, you can't actually get to the notes section anyway. But you get my point. So just to make that clear, let's have a look at a screenshot here. This is a contact in our portal. I'm not the owner of the contact. I'm not the contact owner. That's Tara. But I am the owner of this note against the contact, right? So I've created the note, I'm that note owner. So this permission here, it's like, well, who can view this note? Well, it depends on that permission. So you come to these three scenarios. And by the way, if you're starting to tune out listeners or viewers, you're like, oh, what? This is all getting confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. 
but people are running into this issue. So I just want to address that. We're going to have a fuller video on the channel. Just We could almost do a training course just on permissions. But let me try and summarize where we're getting to. You've got three scenarios you want to understand. It's like, okay, how can I edit my own notes? Okay, we'll get into that. And then how can I view other people's notes? What do I need? And in fact, how can I edit other people's notes? So here's the summary in the table. I've tried to make this as simple as possible. And it comes down to two things. It's one, that notes view. That's that notes view permission up here. Notes view, whether you're owned only team or everything. And then there's also the permissions you have on an object. Let's say a contact. We're just dealing with contacts in this example. Could be deals, could be tickets. So here's the thing. If you've got view owned only and for your notes, can you edit and add notes on a a contact that you can view? Yeah, you can. Even if it's view only, you can add and edit your own note. What's if you have edit permissions on the contact? Can you edit and own your notes? Yep, same thing. Then can you view anyone else's notes? No, you can't. But let's say your notes view is everything or team. You can still add and edit your own notes, but now you can see other people's notes, right? So if you can view that contact, you can see the notes tab on that contact. You can now see other people's notes if you have the everything permission for viewing notes or team. Let's just go everything. But can you edit it? No, you can't. And in fact, the edit of someone else's note is determined whether you have edit permission for the contact. So if you can edit the contact, then you can actually edit other people's notes on that contact if you have this permission to view. So that's the summary. Hopefully that makes sense. I've tried to simplify it down. But can you see why this is totally confusing? People are like, well, how do I see other people's notes and what? I, I, you can see why they're confusing. Anyway, it's that combination of things. Their view or edit permission on the object and then their view permission on the note. However, do you think that's the end of it? No, it still gets more complex. What's if you're at mentioned in a note? Well, you go down a whole other rabbit hole here. I'll tell you, even if you're owned only, like you can't view anyone else's notes, if they at mention you in their note, you can view their note. And in fact, if you had edit permission on the contact that their note is on, you can edit their note just because they've at mentioned you. And of course, if they remove the at mention, it disappears. So that's one confusing thing. I couldn't find anything in the knowledge base about that. So I'm not even sure if that's by design or that, that may change. And then the other thing that comes across is, well, what's if you've pinned the note? You go to a contact and you say, oh, this is important. I'm going to pin it at the top. You would expect, oh, well, everyone can view it now. No, it has no impact on those permissions. All right. So that's the summary. There's a whole bunch of other things in the show notes. I go through some nuances and a few other things and criteria and kind of craziness around it. But if you get the show notes and you go through it and you're facing this, it should make sense and you can get through. You can always send me a note, (laughs) reply via email, send me a comment, and I'll explain it further. It took me a while to get my head around this. And really, once you do as well, you should be setting it in permission sets. So then it just flows out to people and you can be across it all. Did that make sense, Ian? I know we kind of went down a bit of a, a complex path, but hopefully people get an understanding of it. Really, the, the key to understanding it all, I think, is just to know that owned only on notes really should have been better as created only. And I think if you just remember that point, you're kind of halfway to understanding it all. All right. 
next on to Craig, our sunset of the week. And this is one of those features that I used to use all the time. And if you're thinking, what is that? It's about sending internal SMS notifications in workflows. And so often we use this, let's say a new lead came in and especially salespeople on the road, we'd send them a notif- an email notification, we'd assign the contact and we'd trigger an SMS that went to them saying that there was a new contact. Well, guess what? The good days have ended. And so now if you have a workflow that does that, it won't be triggering that and it'll be telling you that it's uh, no longer supporting Intel SMS send and you'll need to use the send internal email notification or send an in-app notification instead. So encourage you all go back and have a look and see what needs to be updated. I'm sure you could probably use an external SMS service as well if you wanted to trigger off an SMS to the contact owner in this respect. But I'm very sad to see that go, Craig. And I saw you have done something with an automation when a deal closes, which now doesn't work because you relied on getting an SMS. A little bit of silliness. Uh, we, we used to chat about um, silly things to do with HubSpot, and. And uh, one of them I had was on SMS, my phone, I've got an iPhone and what is this tool? Shortcuts or something? Anyway, you could set yeah, up automations. It's cool. I think it changed to automation, but it was shortcuts before, yes. It was shortcuts. <laughs> and I just have, it just to look, used to look at texts coming in and if one had new deal, it used to then kick off music playing on my HomePods in, um, in the office. So we're just like, anyway, a bit of silliness. It was a bit of fun. That doesn't work anymore. Now, as much as that is silly, Craig, I actually think what you've done there is extended what something that HubSpot does and you've personalized it to you, right? To give a little little something different. So listeners, I encourage you to have a look at the show notes because these are other things that you can do in the office or in your home office, depending on where you are, just to make life a bit more interesting and utilize some of the notifications that are coming off HubSpot to yourself to do something that makes you happy. All right, we have a listener question of the week. Craig, can I see which hubs we have if I'm not an admin? Yeah, so this is, you don't have admin privileges or billing access. It's like, oh, how can I tell which hubs we've got? There's a nice little hackout team we're using. They put me onto this. You can just visit the user guide. You'd enter your portal as well. For example, here's a screenshot user guide and then your portal ID. It'll take you to this page and it just shows you actually the tool. So this is a screenshot from one of our clients. I'm like, oh, I'll just quickly check. What have they got? Oh, okay. That's the tools they've got. Saves you all, you know, we'd go around, oh, let's look on the uh, workflow automation. Oh, can they do workflows? Well, they must at least have marketing pro or above and things like that. So that's a little bit of a time saver for you. All right. On to our thought of the week. And you would have probably heard us talk about efficiency versus effectiveness. But now we're going to talk about efficiency versus effectiveness with AI tools. I just popped this at the end. I didn't want to bloat shot one when we're talking about AI, but it did strike me that we can consider AI tools, ChatGPT and a whole bunch of others that are rolling out and we've had traders in these two categories, effectiveness and efficiency. Now, efficiency is getting things done quicker. And I think ChatGPT fits into this quite nicely I know a lot of people are using it to write blog posts. I don't know if the blogs are very good and whether they'll even work. Assume they won't. Maybe they'll improve in future. But really what we're using it for is using ChatGPT to summarize content. So we might get a transcript. Actually, Adam Downer was telling me this. Go to YouTube. You can view the transcript. Just copy it out. Put it into ChatGPT and say, oh, summarize the main points from this transcript. 
And then you can actually say, oh, can you summarize that in five bullet points? Right? That's quite an efficiency piece. And then you can say, look, can you generate me five headlines for how I might promote this on social? ChatGPT comes with. So there's those, those tools. And I think they're time-saving and they're very much about efficiency reducing down stuff. So I think that's a big feature of it as opposed to the creation. I don't think it's particularly good, ChatGPT, about creating content. Maybe it can create outlines and give you ideas, but I'm very aware of creating whole articles with it in its current format. So I'm not suggesting that. But that's efficiency. What I'm not seeing a lot of being discussed is the effectiveness side. We touched on it with Brian Halligan up in Shot One where he's like, HubSpot's using AI and ML in the back end to gain insights so that you do the right things. Predictive lead scoring tells you the people you should be reaching out to. Okay, that's an effectiveness thing. It is kind of efficiency. It saves me time analyzing myself, but it's about freeing me up to do the most effective thing with my time. And so those are the two buckets to be thinking out. I'm interested in seeing more of the, the use cases that appear in the effectiveness category. So anyway, just something to think about as you embrace these tools. There's a lot of shiny object syndrome going on at the moment and maybe just having that framework effectiveness and efficiency could be helpful. All right. Finally, we have our quote of the week. And this week's from Daniel Lappin. He wrote Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success for Strategies for Financial Abundance. I haven't read this particular book, but I've, I've just finished another book of his and it was really good. So in this, it says, human beings thrive when they are growing and developing, and this requires discipline. Discipline and accountability keep us alive. And I know as we all are learning and growing, I thought this is a very good quote for the week. All right, we've got training. And so what we're going to encourage you to do is try, actually try out ChatGPT. Go and learn a few things. There are some videos on YouTube that people using it to create different things. So well worth playing around with it, which is what we've been done. And so encourage everyone to go try that out. Now, Craig, how do people get help if they want with the HubSpot portal? I'm going to suggest have a look at the quick check. We do a HubSpot quick check. It goes for about 90 minutes. It's a Zoom call, Teams call with us. Here's the goal of it. We have a chat with you about your portal, how you're using HubSpot. And at the end, we come up with three recommendations for you to prioritize. That's it. An outside kind of perspective, how you're using HubSpot, what should I work on next? So it's a bit of a plan, uh, prioritization. More details on the website about it, and you can actually book in there as well. And who is it good for, Craig? Actually, yeah, good point. It's good if you've had HubSpot for at least six months or a year, you've got to use it, and it's a bit of a review. So probably not as ideal for someone that's really new to HubSpot. Uh, it's yeah for people that have been using HubSpot for a while. That's right. And especially if you are coming up to renewal time mm. or you've recently maybe taken over a portal and you would like someone to have a look at it, it's a great way to do that. Finally, we have a bonus here where we ask ChatGPT about HubShots. So if you get the show notes, you will be entertained by the answers which I thought were not too bad, Craig, surprisingly. Look, they're okay in the end, but it's a good example of chat GPT not knowing. Correct. And then you just refine it down. So at the end, it sounds like it's actually quite useful, but yeah, that's it. Your mileage may vary. And look, here's the main thing about chat GPT. I look at this as a signpost for where it's going. 
So even if it's deficient at the moment or giving wrong answers at the moment, you can see where it's going. Focus on where it's going and plan that into your use of it in the future. All right, listeners, again, if you'd like to connect with us, sign up to the show notes and you'll actually get an email from Craig on a weekly basis because he sends it out. If you want to connect with myself, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Do a search for Ian Jacob and you will find me there. Thank you to all of those who have connected with me over the last two months. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you via LinkedIn and lots of notes of appreciation. So thank you very much. It really made Craig's and my day reading that and sharing with each other. So until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot. 